welcome to PwC IFRS Talks, your source of all things IFRS, technical accounting matters, business issues, current standard setting and regulatory updates. I'm your host, Ruth Preedy. In today's episode, we're going to talk about IFRS 3 and specifically the new definition of a business. And I'm joined by US partner and our BC um, global leader, Larry Dodak. Welcome to the studio, Larry. Thank you, Ruth. Okay, so let's start at the beginning. They've recently, or the ISBs recently uh, published an amendment, like I said, around definition of a business. Can you give us a background to this project? Absolutely. So this project arose out of the post-implementation review of IFRS 3, which was completed back in 2015. Uh, For the most part, there was support for the standard out of the post-implementation review, but two significant areas for follow-up were noted. One had to do with the goodwill impairment, and there's a separate project by the board on that right now, and the other was this definition of a business. And frankly, the concern was that there were too many transactions that were characterized as business combinations when they really appear more like asset acquisitions. And this was happening because the definition was simply too broad. So the definition of business exposure draft was issued in 2016, and a final amendment was just recently issued here in October. Brilliant. Okay, so we know the definitions change. What are the main changes people should be aware of? Well, first of all, the framework of how to apply the definition has been clarified. Certainly, the essential elements of the typical business has not changed. That is, you know, you have to have inputs, processes, and outputs. And the existing definition indicated that a business consists of inputs and processes that applied to those inputs have the ability to create create outputs, although outputs were not required. And, and this is the key thing, and a buyer needed not acquire all of the inputs and processes that the seller would use in operating the business if a market participant was capable of continuing to produce outputs, for example, by integrating it with its own inputs and processes. Unfortunately, that led to some very illogical, extreme conclusions. Um, And I'm thinking of, uh, of one conference that I went to the, the person up at the podium, he had an orange in front of him. And he said, see this orange? Well, this orange can be turned into orange juice. And I can include that with all of the processes that I have and can sell that orange juice. And therefore, obviously a farcical conclusion, but he was intimating that this definition was so broad, even this orange could be a business. <laughs> so the new definition removes the need to assess whether market participants are capable of, of replacing missing inputs or processes and continuing to produce outputs. It also clarifies that an acquisition of a business must include, at a minimum, an input and a substantive process that together significantly contributes to the ability to create outputs. Now, we don't think that's really a big change for our clients because we always thought that you had to have a substantive process to go along with the inputs that you were acquiring. But now we at least we have a framework in order yeah. to follow. The second thing I'd say is the new definition includes guidance to determine whether a substantive process has been acquired. In particular, if what the buyer is acquiring does not have outputs, think no revenues, the process to be substantive must be critical and include an organized workforce along with other inputs. If, however, what the buyer is acquiring does have outputs, think in this case it's already generating revenues, then the threshold of what is substantive is a lot lower. The third thing I'd mention is the amendment adds an optional concentration test. 
And in my mind, this is a, a test, uh, you know it when you see it kind of test. And it's intended to simplify things when clearly you have an asset acquisition. So in this case, if substantially all of the values concentrated in a single identifiable asset or a group of similar assets, then there's no need to go any further. The buyer did not acquire a business. It's simply a way of bypassing the doing the whole full assessment. And it's a lot simpler, it's a lot less complex when it's clear that you have an asset acquisition. The other thing I'd mention is there's some very helpful examples in applying the concentration test in the framework to some very common transactions, as well as some cleanup housekeeping items that I would say in terms of the wording. Okay, so you mentioned there about an optional concentration test. So could you tell us a little bit more about, you know, what is that concentration test, maybe where you think there might be some tricky areas? Absolutely. So uh, as you correctly pointed out, and I mentioned before, it's an optional test uh, intended to make things simpler and bypass the full assessment and deal with the low-hanging fruit kind of situations. So if substantially all of the values in a single asset or a group of similar assets, then it's clear that the buyer acquired an asset. But there's several tricky areas in applying the test. First off, what is substantially all? There's no bright line you know, within the standard. Everyone likes to have some kind of bright Never line to look that. at. <laughs> but you know, we're thinking you know, that's probably gonna be in the 90s you know, percentile or greater yeah. in order to meet that test. Also, if you have a group of assets you know, how similar do they have to be? Again, here, you know, our thinking is, and the board's, you know, examples would seem to clarify that this is intended to be a pretty narrow view of what is similar. Um, you have to consider the nature of the asset, the risk characteristics of each, and you can't simply combine tangible and intangible assets together or different intangible assets. In the U.S., for example, where a similar standard was adopted last year, this is probably the area we receive the most common questions. Like I said, there are some very helpful examples within the standard. I'll just tell you, all real estates are not created equal. <laughs> you know, if you have 10 single family homes that you've acquired, that's probably going to meet the standard for uh, similar. But if you acquire, you know, those homes along with a corporate office building and, and some other things, they're not likely to be similar, even though they're all real estate. Doesn't mean it's a business. It just means you have to apply the framework. Yeah, and just expanding that, it says optional. So is that per business, com like per transaction? But don't say business combination, per transaction, that's optional. Right. Okay. Okay, so perfect. So we've got this concentration test and that should hopefully be a practical way of, like you said, identifying the low-hanging fruit. Then you get into the main framework and you mentioned there you need an input and at least one substantive um, process could you explain a little bit more around that? Sure. Now, the standard makes a distinction between whether there are outputs or there are no outputs. And if there are no outputs at acquisition, the hurdle is a lot higher to get to a business combination. Makes sense. So if you have no outputs, you need an organized workforce and other inputs like technology or IPRD or real estate and a substantive process that is critical. Now, if you have outputs, you can either have that or you could acquire inputs and a substantive process is so unique or can't be replaced with, without significant cost and effort, then you might also conclude that you have a business. Okay, so we've got through those and then we get to, um, you would have a business. 
We, obviously, this they, they amended the US GAAP standard as well. So the business combination standard was converged. Um, the US has gone through a similar process of the post-implementation review, and they went through an amendment on definition of a business, I think this time last year. Are they completely converged, or is there differences between the two models? Yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting. I mean, the business combination standards was a result of a joint project between the ISB and the FASB. And for the most part, that standard was substantially converged. Now, in this area definition of a business, the words were substantially the same under both models, but were applied slightly differently under IFRS and US GAAP. Now, after the FASB's completion of their project last year and the board's just issued standard, the words are slightly different, but they're intended to be applied similarly. So while there are some differences, many situations we should get to a similar answer but like i said there are some differences and yeah. what are they so the biggest difference has to do with the concentration test it's optional under ifrs and you must consider it under us gap the second thing I'd, I'd point out is when outputs are not present under us gap a business is acquired only when the acquired workforce includes employees whereas under ifrs a substantive process could be performed by an outsourced workforce. Yeah. And the last thing I'd mention is the presumptions that are embedded within the standards are slightly different as well. IFRS has a presumption that if it's difficult to replace the workforce, that likely means that the process is critical. US GAAP doesn't have that presumption. On the other hand, US GAAP has a presumption that says if you have insignificant goodwill, that likely is a substantive process and you don't have that presumption under IFRS. Okay, so bro while broadly aligned and we expect probably the outcome of it to be the same, there are some nuances with the differences. So maybe watch this space just to see if there's any, you never know if there's any unintended consequences of changing a standard. You're right about that. You never know, <laughs> you right? You know. <laughs> okay, and thinking about impact now, what industries do you think will be most impacted by the change? So, so probably the industries that come to mind are probably pharmaceuticals, oil and gas, as well as real estate, again, I think will probably be the three industries we see probably the most significant changes, a movement towards more asset acquisitions. Yeah, okay. And lastly, just so we know sort of when we need to get ready, when is it effective? Yes, the effective date's not till 2020, so you have some time to prepare. However, if you think you like the standard, early adoption is permitted, so you can adopt it early. Okay, perfect. Thank you very much, Larry. I'm sure you can find more information available on PwC's um, Inform and PwC.com. Thank you for joining us today. I've been your host, Ruth Creedy. Happy accounting. The preceding programme was brought to you by PricewaterhouseCoopers LLP. This content is for general information purposes and is not a substitute for consultation with professional advisors.